Jesus is the Lamb of God whose perfect, once-for-all sacrifice takes away forever the sin of all who believe. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. You know, just days before his crucifixion, the crowd had celebrated Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was the promised king. They were shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us now, son of David. Save us, King Jesus. But you see, that crowd was seeking a political king who would save them from their hated enemy, the Roman Empire. But Jesus had come to save them and us on a far deeper and infinitely more important level than any political salvation could ever bring. So we continue our Easter series here. We're looking at Jesus as the law keeper, the lamb, and the lion. And tonight, Jesus is the lamb of God with our text taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, and Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. They said this Easter season, we are focusing on the beauty of the gospel story in which we see Jesus as the perfect lawkeeper, the sacrificial lamb of God, and the victorious lion of Judah who has triumphed over sin and death. Our focus tonight on Jesus as the lamb of God. And here is the key thought that I want to emphasize here tonight, that Jesus is the lamb of God who's perfect once-for-all sacrifice, takes away forever the sin of all who believe. Let's think about that for a minute. Jesus is the Lamb of God who's perfect. How many times did he have to sacrifice himself? Once. Once-for-all sacrifice takes away for how long? Forever the sin of who? All who believe. All who believe. As I said before, we will be observing communion this evening. And if you did not pick up a communion cup in the back there, please make sure you get one. And if you are watching from home, if you would like to celebrate with us, prepare those elements there as well. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. But first, just a reminder about Jesus as the law keeper. I want to say thanks again to my good friend Chuck Beckler, for the idea for this series. I recall last week, last Sunday, I had a little fun at Chuck's expense last week. So he and his wife, Linda, are here tonight to check up on me. So uh, thanks for coming here this evening, Chuck and Linda. You know, last Sunday, we recounted the wonderful true story that is the gospel. And the Bible tells us how God created man in his image and placed him in a beautiful garden, a paradise called Eden. Paradise was given to man by God. But then Adam, the first man, along with Eve, the first woman, disobeyed God's command, and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, Adam failed the test, and as a result, he brought sin and death into God's beautiful creation. Paradise was given to man by God, but then man gave paradise up through disobedience. But God had a plan. God had a plan to redeem sinful human beings and to restore paradise. And through the life, 
the death and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ, paradise was given back to man by God. And this plan required the Son of God to take on human flesh and to become one of us, truly human, like us in every way, but without sin. Adam, the first man, had failed to obey the law of God. But Jesus, the second man, the second Adam, he succeeded where Adam failed. And he perfectly obeyed the entirety of God's law throughout his life. How are you and I doing on that, on obeying the entirety of God's law? I don't do so well just just trying to obey one small part of it, right? But he obeyed the entirety of God's law for the entirety of his life. And the scriptures tell us then that through faith in Christ, his perfect obedience, we are credited then with righteousness, perfect obedience to the law. His own righteousness, moral perfection, is given to us as a gift. Jesus is the perfect law keeper. But sin had to be paid for. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's spiritual death, that's separation from God and judgment. Physical death, eternal God, uh, eternal death, eternal separation from the love and the goodness and the blessing of God. Eternal condemnation. The price for sin had to be paid, or else God would not truly be just. So Jesus, after having perfectly obeyed the law, was obedient to the will of the Father then in going to the cross, where he took upon himself the punishment for our sins and died in our place. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God. Listen to this testimony from John the Baptist about the identity of Jesus as the Lamb of God. We're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. See, before Jesus came into the world, God had called Abraham and made a great nation, Israel, out of him. He gave his people, Israel, his law. He instituted a system of animal sacrifices whereby their sins could be temporarily covered or atoned for until the once-for-all-time perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God would come. The tabernacle, the animal sacrifices, the temple, all of these things were shadows or pictures of things which were yet to come. They were all pointing to Jesus. When Jesus came, he perfectly fulfilled the law. His sacrifice would be perfect once for all time and able to do what the old system under Moses never could do. 
That is, completely remove sin and guilt and grant holiness. Listen to this beautiful passage found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. I'm reading tonight from the New Living Translation for this passage because I think it does a wonderful job of clearly and concisely translating the meaning of the text here. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that is why... When Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the Scriptures. For first Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make. With my people on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Amen. See, Jesus is the law keeper and Jesus is the lamb. He is the lamb of God. We're told there that that old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. See, that entire 
sacrificial system of the Old Testament law was all pointing toward Jesus who would fulfill it all. We looked last time at how Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but rather he came to do what? To fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law. How did he fulfill the law? Well, in first of all, he fulfilled the prophecies of the law. All of the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah. He was that Messiah. He fulfilled entirely the moral law of God. But he also fulfilled the law in that he was what everything had been pointing to in that sacrificial system. He is the good things to come. The Old Testament era animal sacrifices were repeated again and again and again. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. They could not purify sinners once for all time. Aren't you glad that you don't have to bring an animal sacrifice with you every time you come to church? You don't have to do that. And imagine if you did have to still do that. When you brought it, it really wasn't taking away your sin, actually. It was just a temporary covering for it. And know, too, that they, those animal sacrifices could not remove the guilt either. They could not remove the guilt of sin. In fact, we're told all they did was continually remind the people of their sins year after year after year. Only the blood of our high priest, Jesus, can remove, take away our sins and the guilt that goes with it forever. Anybody struggling here with guilt? Guilt over sin? You put your trust in Jesus. That sin is forgiven, but he takes the guilt away too. We don't have to feel that guilt anymore because the price was paid forever. See, that single offering of our high priest, Jesus, is good for all sins, for all time. The scripture tells us that when he completed his mission, he sat down in the place of honor at God the Father's right hand. When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, that's indicating the job is done. When Jesus, shortly before he died, what did he say? He said, what? It is finished. There's nothing more to be done. He has accomplished all that he came to do. There's no more sacrifice to be given. Salvation has been obtained, procured. And so we sat down. It's like, have you ever had a, a tough work, a job you're doing on that, and you're, you're working hard at that, and you're tired, and you come inside, and what do you do when you come inside? You do what? You, you sit down. So when Jesus finished that tough job, and he returned home to the Father, what did he do? He sat down. For, well, not forever, Steve. We know of at least one time when he stood up. When did he stand up? When Stephen, right, was Mar and Jesus stood up to receive him, right? You know, I especially love verse 14 there. It says, For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Wait a minute. How can you be both made perfect and still be being made holy? Well, because forever made perfect refers to what? 
when we are believed, we're justified. Justification, the theologians call that, right? You put your faith in Jesus, you're forgiven for the sins. But what You are declared morally perfect, holy, and righteous in Christ, not in yourself, in Christ. And that will not be taken from you. But how many of us here can testify that even though we have been declared perfect and righteous and will one day be in practice what we are by that position, by that declaration, right now there's a little work to do. Anybody else here have some work to do on this righteousness thing? Yeah? So justification is that Made forever perfect. Sanctification is what? That process, those who are being made holy. So justification, perfection declared. Sanctification, perfection pursued. With glorification, perfection obtained perfectly. That's to come. But through this once for all sacrifice, Jesus also then instituted a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new agreement between God and human beings. The Holy Spirit says, this is the new covenant that I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. When the law of God comes a part of us, of our hearts and our minds, and that wonderful promise when God says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. When we put our trust in Christ, God will never again hold us eternally accountable for those sins because they are forgiven and removed from us. As far as, how far? Is the east from the west? So through the sacrifice of the Lamb, a new covenant has been made. He puts his laws on our hearts he writes them on our minds. And he says, I will never again remember our sins and our lawless deeds. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, we rejoice in that. But here on this Good Friday evening, I want us to remember, though, too, the price that Jesus, the Son of God, paid to obtain that salvation, that great salvation. I want to share something with you that I read earlier today. This was an article uh, written by a woman in our church, Joy Vino. She wrote this article some years ago. It was called The Sacrifice, and it's a reflection on the price Jesus paid for us, as well as God the Father, the price he paid. She writes, When we think of the sacrifice made for us nearly 2,000 years ago, we naturally think in terms of the sacrifice made by the Son. He gave his life for you and me. And the enormity of that fact should never be obscured by the passage of time or by our familiarity with the event. And with that object in view, please allow yourself to consider this. Who would you die for? Who would you die for? Your neighbor? A stranger? You know, aside from very brave soldiers, police officers, and firemen, laying down one's life for another person seems to be a bridge too far for most people. Add to that the torture angle. Not only must you die, but prior to that, you will be whipped, 
publicly humiliated, beaten, stripped naked before cruel men hammer huge spikes into your wrists and feet and suspend you from these terrible wounds until you die an agonizingly slow death. Even a very courageous person would likely blanch at the thought, while others are under the bed just thinking about it. Would you endure such abuse? Even for a very good friend? Your husband or your wife? Well, certainly some have endured torture and even death for God or country or familial love. But such self-sacrifice is rare enough to be quite remarkable. Now, we should remember, though, how many would die for the likes of someone like John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy or perhaps a politician of another party? I like how she put that one in there. But in the Bible, the book of Romans speaks to this very issue. In Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were helpless, ungodly sinners when Christ chose to give his life on our behalf. Not mere strangers, we were enemies of God. Enemies? Well, according to the Bible, even if one has no emotion of animus toward God, we are all born enemies of God just by being part of the rebellious race of mankind. But Jesus Christ, who loves us, bore the agony of the cross for our reconciliation. And such an act of gracious heroism is rare indeed and is confounding in our vengeance-oriented society. We human beings often don't just get mad at those who hurt or oppose us. We get even. And self-sacrifice is looked upon almost as a defect. But there's something, though, that I believe would get me willingly up on that cross. And if you are a parent, maybe you can identify. A simple choice might do it. Mom or dad, either you or your child is going up on that cross. We are either going to strip, beat, and torture your child and drive those nails into their flesh, or you can go in their place. What will it be? Parental love is so strong that even from here, I can hear you say, Take me, I'll go. Do what you must to me, but leave my child alone. And that is the great love that the Son has for us. It is so hard for us to accept his love at face value, but he loves us that much. As much as you love your son, as much as you die for your daughter, Torture and death on our behalf is the noble gift of the Son to win your life and freedom. But what of the Father? How did he show his love for us? Think about this. You'd go up on that cross for your son or daughter, but for whom would you give your child whom you love so much? On whose behalf would I send my son or daughter to their death? Whose life and security would I purchase with the well-being of my own child? 
no one's. Yet so great is the Father's love for me and you, friend, that he gave his only son. From a parent's eye view, an unbelievable sacrifice. First John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paid in full is the message of the cross. His death brings us life. His suffering gives us peace. His mediation offers us complete reconciliation. His resurrection promises eternal life to those who call on his name. Amen. So you see, friends, Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience on our behalf. He willingly suffered and died on the cross for us. And he was he died, he was buried. But the story doesn't end there, does it? See, Jesus is the law keeper. He is the Lamb of God. But he is also the Lion of Judah. He is the conquering Lion of Judah who defeated sin and death on our behalf forever. But if you want to hear, how many, who would like to hear a little bit more about that? Too bad, you're going to have to wait. See? Because if you'd like to hear a little more about that, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, you're going to have to come back on Sunday morning when we will celebrate Jesus as the Lion of Judah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing thing for us to behold. The incarnation, the perfect obedience of your Son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. His willingly going to the cross on our behalf. And not where he suffered physically only, but where he suffered ultimately. When he who knew no sin was made sin for us. Where he took the judgment, the condemnation. When he took hell for us on that cross. He did for us what we could never do. Perfectly obey you perfectly obey your law. And then he did for us what we can do so that we wouldn't have to suffer, suffer for our sins. But his suffering is once for all, is supreme, is perfect, and it takes away our sin and our guilt and it sanctifies us. It makes us holy and righteous. What a wondrous gift. And we thank you for that. We thank you for him. And we thank you, Lord, that the story did not end with his death and burial, but that he rose on the third day and he conquered all. And he's coming again. And he's going to make all things new. Thank you for that wonderful gospel. Thank you that Jesus is coming again, that he will make all things new, and that paradise will be given back to us by God. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty and the power and the wonder of the gospel story. We believe and we thank you and we worship you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.